0: You're listening to the one of us.net podcast network. Hey, and welcome to Digital Noise. We return with a series. We're going to have like three in a row because everything, that's just the way the timing worked out this time. Everybody was done with their stacks. So we're just kind of recording these, uh, right off the bat. They may be coming a little quicker than usual, but first up is my man, Sir Dr. John Golson. Sir,
1: Sir Dr., <laughs> Sir Dr. Lord John Golson. <laughs> um, hi. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, You know you can buy like a, a square foot by square foot piece of land in Scotland and be deemed a lord through mail order?
0: I did know that, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I, I care enough to become a lord, per se, and I'm pretty sure I'd have a hard time convincing people I know to refer to me as lord. Oh, I, I'd call you lord. Would you call me lord <laughs> if I did that? Okay, maybe I have to look back into it then. But You just came uh, briefly, you were at a, 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 a con, and you told me you met uh, the guy who did all the Simpsons comics? Yeah. Artwork, the artwork for that? Yeah, Bill Morrison. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And
1: then he was talking about how he came into the industry and that he used to do movie posters. And I said, well, what, are there any posters we would recognize? And he kind of hemmed and hawed and was like, oh, you know, I mostly worked in comedy or horror. I did a poster for a movie called Loose Screws, and everybody was kind of like, you know, didn't really know what it was, so there wasn't like any ooze or ahs. He was mm-hmm. like, I did the... Uh, the poster for this movie house and that one stopped me in my tracks because i was like wait you did the poster for the movie house and he yeah. said yeah no, not like,
0: not the japanese one to be clear the the yeah. american ding film dong, with, you're dead with william Cat. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and i was like that's a poster whose iconography probably supersedes the reputation of the film itself like more people are familiar with the ding dong you're dead <laughs> finger and doorbell image than they are probably any particular image from the
0: movie i loved that uh, movie when it came out i saw it in the theater like yeah. more than once
1: <laughs> so uh that was it was kind of a cool discovery but no, he met um, Matt Groening and and uh, got in when the Simpsons were first taking off and needed licensed art and Groening was leaning on him for licensed art and apparently Groening had retained uh, certain rights himself and one of them was publishing rights so he could make graining could make comics so they started oh. bongo um, that was all their own and I had he could no hire idea they wanted and that sort of thing so I had yeah, Bill no- Morrison in charge of Bongo Comics for a long time. I did
0: not know that Groning had had that deal and that he personally owned Bongo Comics. That's okay. interesting. Yeah. Oh, huh. wow. Well, learn something new every day. Well, we're going to teach you about a lot of new things. We got an interesting and mixed stack of stuff, both from old classics to some stuff you may have never heard of to some stuff that you've definitely heard of and probably already have strong opinions on. <laughs> uh, but we're going to get it started off Way back when, with a film I never heard of, and I'm kind of shocked that this isn't more widely talked about, a 1955 film called Dementia, black and white, super experimental sort of film noir horror. And when it came out, I don't think people even understood what this guy was doing. Like, there wasn't much like this happening at this time. It's like almost lynchy before lynch.
1: Yeah, if any, it reminded me a little bit of Carnival of Souls, but Mm -hmm. it's not as. It is more experimental, it is more art film than Carnival of Souls, but it kind of has the same. There's the same kind of vibe or tone to it as Carnival of Souls.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that would be the only other thing I could think to yeah, compare it, it to. It literally is. I mean, this was just such a pleasant little surprise for me. Um, There's two versions of this on the Blu-ray. One comes with like more of an extended intro to go, okay, this is what you're in for, folks, to, to explain to them, which I don't think ended up helping the release of the film at the time people, you know, it's like Michael J. Fox said, well, you may not be ready for this, but your grandkids are going to love it. (laughs) Uh, and I got to say I really enjoyed this. It was so different from anything we normally see. It's just a little weird moment in history that got buried for a long time because then nobody cared, and now it's kind of getting rediscovered and people are going, "Well, what is this?" And the story follows this woman who uh wakes wakes from a nightmare in a you know crappy hotel. And she just wanders out into the night of the city. And most of this is literally just her wandering around the city, meeting with various strange people. Uh The the big one being she meets this rich guy who basically decides that, you know, uh, you're my woman now and takes her to all the nice places and everything. Uh there's this, He's very fat Orson Welles sort of thing going on with this guy, you know, yeah. like the sit late sitters, later days, Citizen Kane. I th- there's murder, there's nightmares, there's hallucinations, um, and something about a graveyard and her parents. <laughs> Not exactly sure what was happening, but it is very, like, it grabs you. The imagery is very arresting. And there's, like, no dialogue in this, like, at all.
1: There's a lot of soundtrack. There's a lot there's a of lot soundtrack. Of- For an hour. It's basically like...
0: Yeah, and it is short. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's that sound for an hour.
0: hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's barely an hour. And uh, it was funny. I was looking at the New York State Film Board Bandit, calling it inhuman, indecent, and the quintessence of gruesomeness. I'm like, what movie did you see? (laughs) Because I didn't get any of that. But different times.
1: Different times. I I probably didn't like this as much as you did, but I... I appreciate it for what it is Mm -hmm. um it was a little too uh, just a just a just a touch it it kind of it's interesting because it feels like it has one toe in sort of like the cheapy exploitation of that era i don't know what it is that gives it that vibe maybe it's just it's a grimier movie yeah um but it's but at the same time yeah it's not interested in being like a um it's not interested in being a a a a normal narrative yeah, film.
0: It is um, not at all a normal narrative as film. As a
1: curio, I appreciated it, but um but I didn't love it. And I actually watched it twice because I felt like it I felt like I didn't get it on first viewing. Mm-hmm. I was it, it was too easily I was too easily distracted during the first viewing, so I I got to hear
0: who <laughs> for 2 over. hours.
1: <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and ultimately I walked away going, okay, I, I, I get what they're doing. It's not really for me, but I, but I appreciate the effort here. And it's interesting to unearth a movie like this, uh, an American movie like this in the mid fifties. It's, it's that, that part's interesting.
0: I think the only reason it even got seen at all, uh, outside of like, I guess it must have played some festival or something. There weren't a lot of festivals back then, but Preston Sturgis, a very well-known film director of his time, although sadly forgotten by most people today, even though he was a genius and made so many great films, he championed this. And it starts even with a quote from him about the film. Uh, I, I do think it's definitely worth watching for sure, especially if you're into horror film noir. It's just such an oddity. That's all you're like, what a strange little film in when it, for when it came out and it comes with three minute Demonstration of how they restored it. And then the only other real extra is basically the alternate version of this, which was titled uh, Daughter of Horror. It's very barely changed. And it has a couple moments where Ed McMahon comes in and narrates to help the audience know what's happening.
1: I did not I did not watch that version of the film.
0: Yeah, well it's a really it came from a badly damaged print, so it doesn't look great. <laughs> so not really the version to watch unless you're just like, I can't wait to see this again. I've already seen it five times. Oh, maybe I'll watch this version. You know what I mean. Anyway, let's move on to the next one, which we have a new horror film starring Sandra O. Oh. I was like, Sandra O oh, is in a horror film called Umma. And Uma is a um uh, it's based around a Korean family even though this is completely made in America uh and the story here she plays a Korean uh immigrant and she has a homeschooled daughter who now is basically an ad- adult at this point um but you know getting ready to go off to college or wants to go off to college. They live on a rural farm where they raise bees, uh they raise chickens, they sell the related items from that to make a living, uh and there's no modern technology allowed on this farm at all because apparently Amanda Sandro has what she calls an allergic reaction to electronics and electricity. Um and the problems start when basically she finds out that her daughter wants to leave to go to college. She wants to be around other people. She's never really had relationships with anybody outside of uh her mom, and then Dermot Milrone, who's the guy who basically comes and picks up the stuff to go take it to sell that and is kind of like an uncle figure, if you will. So there's there's stress going on there, but things get weird when she gets brought the cremated ashes of her mother, who just died, and apparently. They had real problems, like her mom looked like she was psychologically disturbed, apparently, and abused her, and like, badly, and she just never wanted to even think about her, much less have anything to do with her, but she's stuck with the suitcase from her uncle who visits, says something nasty to her, basically, about abandoning the family. Well... Whether or not there are actual ghosts here or this is all just sort of a psychological breakdown happening in Amanda's mind is never really completely clear. It's just kind of up to you to decide how you want to feel about it. But it is ultimately her confronting the ghost of her mother who is trying to possess her and to control her own daughter. There's a lot of subtext here that's not very sub. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very surface level. Uh, you know, most of the ghost representation is, oh, they have black eyes you know, that'll bet. As a horror film, I don't think this is very impressive fare at all. If you're watching it for to be scared or creeped out, it's there's just not much of that here. Uh I mean, it's happening. It's just not very well done or original. If you're watching this for the story of like a Korean immigrant and their family and like, you know, uh, buried trauma, it's a little more interesting if you're just watching it through that text. But ultimately, even though this got Kind of like from it's fine reviews to, oh, I really liked it. For me, I was like, this was pretty forgettable.
1: Yeah, it's slick, uh, competently made, but also kind of just dull. So it's sort of like the elements are all sort of there. You know, the acting's fine. Shot composition, like the bare minimum of what you expect of like a, a competently staged production. Like it's it's all there. It just doesn't ever really come to life. Yeah. It's just sort of lifeless. And I, I, it's slick enough to have you keep watching. Like, it's probably going to get good. It's probably going to get good. And then it never really like gets good. It's just sort of like it's, <laughs> this base baseline level of competency from beginning to end. That's <laughs> such faint praise, but it's just like, it's so vanilla. It's so, yeah. it's so blandly like, um you know, that I I think that some of it, not to armchair quarterback it, but there's it opens with like a flashback so that when stuff starts happening, you realize that that's references to her past and things like that. And I almost kind of wish the movie had unfolded and we discovered those things later instead of it being set up and then retroactively like oh, the person at the beginning is, like, her, you know, because you know that from, I mean, any astute movie watcher is like, oh, okay, that's her, and then when she starts to relive the trauma, you're like, yeah, you gave me a preview of that at the beginning of the film. And to me, I don't know that I that felt also like it kind of hurt the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they wanted to get to horrific stuff instead of just conversations about selling honey on the well, internet yeah because like, it
0: would have <laughs> been quite a while under the film before anything horrific happens yeah uh, otherwise it just
1: it was just uh it's just dull that's yeah. i mean that's what it is it's, just, yeah. it's, it's a a,
0: like you said it's like you can't come down too hard because it's very competently made it yeah. definitely does exactly what it sets out to do successfully it's just felt like it could have reached for more
1: whatever <laughs> you know whatever alchemy happens in a movie that let somebody really get invested and gets your blood pumping. It just wasn't here.
0: No, it definitely wasn't there. And I didn't think as much as, like I said, the more interesting part is the, the trauma level and the psychology of that and the performances, which are all good. I thought Mm -hmm. it's just not that interesting. (laughs) <laughs> maybe if I was a Korean immigrant or maybe if I dealt with a had to deal with like buried drama, I would find it more interesting. But it was not for me. Uh, not buried drama would be the ch- Chinese. Not,
1: my favorite theme park. nots buried trauma. Not not's
0: buried <laughs> drama, Uh is the Chinese re-release by uh, I think it's 88 films of Human Lanterns. Now, boy, that title, sit and, like, mull that title over for a second into your head. Human Lanterns. What could that possibly mean?
1: Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a spoiler. The title is a spoiler.
0: So, this is a very rare example of a Shaw Brothers attempt to make a horror film. And even though this is still straight up just a Shaw Brothers Action movie, period piece. It's also kind of a horror film, or rather, I would say there's very horrific aspects to this. The title makes you think, oh, is this going to be like Cannibal Holocaust or something? It's when you start thinking about what it is, like a guy skinning women and using their skins to make lanterns. Well, no, no. Partially because when he 's skinning them in the film, it just looks like they put like plastic wrap on <laughs> on them or like parchment paper, and he 's just peeling it off because yeah. underneath it 's just clearly more skin yeah it 's like when you get a sunburn, <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and i mean it 's okay i wasn 't i think this would have been more interesting to me you know as a one off for sure because it is there 's very rarely this type of horror aspect to the Shaw brothers films. If the action was a little better, because the action's kind of bland.
1: You're dealing with these two guys. They're both like uh, warlords or lords over Something. their thing. And they're both super arrogant, super competitive with each other in all things. One of them's going to have a festival. He hires this guy to like, hey, make my lanterns for me. The lanterns have a dark secret. Who, that's spoiled in the title um and and the lantern maker is doing it as a form of revenge for some injustice that it, that had been enacted upon him in the past from this particular uh lord um
0: and there's also something about a prostitute that they both want to have sex with you know, or both for, are having sex with.
1: You, you come across these movies sometime that you would you if somebody just showed it to you cold you would peg that it came from like a completely different era it's mm-hmm. hard to believe this came from the early 80s mm-hmm. it looks like it hit in the like late sixties. Yeah. Um, it already feels very dated for Shaw Brothers for a nineteen eighties film. Um not just because it's a period piece, but I don't think they changed much of the way that they were making movies in the, the uh No the 20 years from between the 60s and 82. I mean, there's a
0: bit of a difference in topic because I think they started with more of wuxia, mm-hmm. like, you know, dudes with a lot more sword play, a lot more guys with magic powers to some extent. And then after, I think it was the Chinese boxer, everything changed to, okay, a lot more of like straight up fighting.
1: Yeah. I I kind of perked up, came alive. I think the movie comes alive in the scene where the lantern maker who wears this like, uh, this furry
0: sort of like a monkey king thing with a skull mask yeah it's like monkey king yeah and he's
1: cackling and jumping around all over the place and then loosening the skin and pulling the skin off that's not as gory as it sounds but all that stuff was like oh i'm i perked up i was like this is weird like this stuff is weird um and then it kind of just gets into some just basic like the fight scenes feel really basic there's a lot of like like sword fighting and stuff like that but it's not it's not great. Yeah. It's this, just like, it's There's fine. no
0: moment that's like, ooh, yeah. they're all like, it's, you know, kind of par for the course fighting for the yeah, show. When it, when it dipped,
1: when it dipped into the horror stuff, I was, I was sat up in my seat a little bit every single time. But ultimately, for a movie that has, like, like I'd heard the title before, so it had a little bit of yeah. an infamous reputation. And for a movie with such a reputation, I was like, it, it was not,
0: um, it didn't live up to it.
1: Yeah. It didn't really deliver on what, my expectations for it were but even removed from that it's just sort of like it's it's sort of weak on the kung fu side and it's honestly a little weak on the horror side too
0: yeah no i agreed i was really hoping for a lot from this one cuz of that reputation always yeah. having read about it but yeah it's kind of it's kind of mild really it's amusing that stuff it's doing with horror just because it's so, you know, ultimately tame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this comes with audio commentary by Kenneth Br- Brorson and Phil Gillen, who are apparently on the podcast on fire network. Uh, there's an interview with actress Susan Shaw called a Shaw story. There's the beauty and the beast an interview with actress Linda Chu. There's Lao Wing, the ambiguous hero. Which has really, really bad audio to it, uh, because it was in a space with lots of background noise, uh, but also distortion. So the yay. Uh, but the nice thing is this uh, slip case has really new, uh, cool new artwork on it. Um, the, there's a reversible sleeve in the actual Blu-ray that, you- Features the original Hong Kong poster artwork. Uh, there's a insert booklet with an essay by Barry Forshaw and a double sided fold out poster. All this is sort of standard for what 88 Films releases are, which I really like about. And them. a great transfer. And a great transfer. It yeah. does look really Looks good. Really nice. Yeah, that's so. 88 Films kind of hit the ground running. They came out of nowhere and suddenly they're just like, okay, we're releasing shit tons of Shaw Brothers stuff and some weird stuff, and, but they all come with like brand new, really gorgeous art and posters and yeah i mean it's like they're doing a great job right now i i wait i anxiously await to see what else they're going to try and tackle after they're kind of done with the they're doing their shaw brothers stuff them and Arrow seem to be competing to see who can put out the most amount of shaw brothers things mm. i think 88 is winning currently all right we're still staying in the past here but in a different country we're going to italy for violent city this is a Charles Bronson film, and we've been – they've been – uh Kino Lorber has been putting out a lot of Charles Bronson's back catalog lately, a lot of which I had never actually seen but heard about. Like, we reviewed Mr. Majestic, which I always heard was one of the better ones. Spoiler, it is not. <laughs> it is not very good. Uh This one I reviewed, basically asked for, because I was like, first off, this features – Jill Ireland who is his real life wife who is a just a great beauty definitely and uh who starred in kind of like 16 films with them together but this is the one that usually they're like this is the one you see that that uh, is the best one with the two of them plus Telly Savalas is a bad guy I always kind of want to see that when that happens he, nobody chews the scenery like Telly Savalas and I kind of kind of love him for that but in Violent City Bronson plays a professional assassin assassin Jeff Heston when we meet him, he and Joe Ireland, playing uh, his lover, Vanessa, they're on a holiday in the Virgin Islands, and this thing just basically just uh, starts off with a giant car chase, <laughs> which a is a great car chase, a really a fantastic car chase. Yeah, man, this is like starts off running a really good car chase, and but it ends with him being shot and left for dead, while she um, seems to basically run off and get in the car with a guy who was like setting up the whole thing, his former associate. So he heals. And, uh, he basically decides that after getting out of jail, uh, you know, yes, you were shot. So you should go to jail, (laughs) but uh, he's, he's a known issue for the authorities, but he goes to new Orleans and, uh, basically his old boss says, uh, send some thugs to say, come work for me. And, uh, he says, no, no, I reti- I'm retired. But instead, he he's going to kill everybody responsible for what happened to him before, including, first off, the guy who betrayed him. And then he's going to basically find his lover from before. And, well, he hasn't really decided yet what he's going to do. But I genuinely kind of enjoyed this. There's points of this that are great, but there are long stretches that are very dull.
1: <laughs> I loved the opening, and I thought, oh, boy, like a Charles Bronson movie that I actually might like because I thought that opening chase was great. It
0: was so good.
1: And then it settled in and it became like every other Charles Bronson movie I've seen. And it's it spurred me on to tweet. I was just like, Hey, you and I are going to, not you and me, Chris, but just no. the general world. I was like, you, you and I are going to have to disagree about uh, Charles Bronson movies. I'm probably not going to like any Charles Bronson movies and you're going to have to be okay with that. <laughs> and the replies coming in, what about this movie? What about this movie? What about what about Dirty Dozen? I'm like, there's 11 other people besides Charles Bronson. That's what not about a, The Magnificent Seven? There's yeah. six other people besides Charles Bronson. Th- th- those like,
0: aren't Charles Bronson they're not headline Charles movies. Bronson movies. <laughs> yeah.
1: To the point that I ended up deleting the tweet because I was like, it was a joke tweet. I'm not trying to get you to sell me on an actor I don't enjoy. I don't <laughs> like Charles Bronson. Uh, this movie did not change my mind. Uh, by the end of it, I was glad it was over. Uh, I am. I, I'm I, one day, maybe I'll see the movie that will, that will, the scales will fall from my eyes and I will go, wow, Charles Bronson is terrific. Um, this was not that movie for me. I do think that chase scene is, is, is really strong. It's, it's a great cinematic chase scene. Uh, there's like driving up and down stairs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like really good. Um, but gosh, that, Putting that at the beginning of the movie is sort of like then you've got another, you know, hour plus that nothing even comes close to touching that opening sequence.
0: Yeah, they kind of yeah they shoot their wad right off the bat. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this a lot more than you did. For me, yeah. this is my favorite. You know, Charles Br- uh, Bronson as the headliner film.
1: I think mine may still be um,
0: the mechanic is probably number what's two. It,
1: twelve is it twelve till midnight? Oh, the I've serial sh- killer one. Never seen is that it one. Twelve till midnight. Huh. That's probably, it's about a serial killer who runs around nude. He's running around like the streets of New York City's completely buck naked, like the whole time, and uh, and goes and stabs people to death. Uh, I think it's called 10 till midnight or 12 till midnight. Boy, they really
0: just were lousy at catching serial killers back then, I guess. (laughs) You're like, it's hard to miss this guy. It's a naked guy he might be that naked serial killer. Or he could be just some other naked guy. Ah, leave him alone. <laughs> that, that, to
1: me, is probably still my number one Charles Bronson movie. But, but even then, it's not enough for me to be like, yeah, I, I, I just, I kind of don't get him on, like, a fundamental level. Because I know that there are people who just love him and are, like, devotees to, to him. Yeah. I, I, I have friends with Charles Bronson tattoos.
0: Do you really? Yes. Is it Brian Salisbury? No. Oh. <laughs> Zach
1: Carlson has a Charles Bronson
0: Well, movie. but this is Zach Carlson we're talking about. <laughs> but there's a Charles Bronson tattoo. I just...
1: I i don't see it. Someday, maybe. Yeah. But I don't see it.
0: I, I've never... Comp- I mean, okay. So, I take it back. The best Charles Bronson movie is uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly.
1: Okay.
0: Right? The Sergio Leone film? Is that oh, no, story? no, no. That's I'm sorry. Story? Not Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. What's the one I'm thinking? Of? Once oh, Upon a Time in the, time the West. west. Okay. That's decidedly the best one. But... I mean, come on. It's a Sergio Leone movie.
1: (laughs) And I I haven't seen it all the way through. I've seen the first like half hour of that and I've never seen it.
0: Worth going back to. It's, it really is great. All right. It's very long. I appreciate that, but like it's well worth your time. And unlike all the other Bronson movies we've seen, it doesn't even faintly feel like those films. It feels like a Sergio Leone at his best, which it is. Anyway, uh, this comes with three different versions. There's the Italian language version. There's the English language version. And then there's one called The Family, which I guess is, sort of like a rejiggered for American television type of version of it. I don't know. They tried to resell it. Um, and that's what you got, but that's the worst quality copy on here. Uh, there is a archival program called shooting violent city with, uh, director Sergio Solima who talks about putting it all together. Yada, yada. Uh, there's a commentary track, brand new one with film historian, Paul Talbot, who wrote a book called Bronson's loose, uh, I guess that guy probably has a Charles Bronson tattoo. <laughs> uh, and then there's TV spots and reversible original uh, post art with the family art on one side and violent city on the other. Like I said, if you're a Charles Bronson film, I think you're really, really, really going to think this is one of the better ones. God knows there's lots of bad ones. Um, but if you really never cared much one way or the other for Bronson. There's no real reason to go and, st- I mean, I bet you anything this is on YouTube somewhere. You could just watch the first 10 minutes and go, yeah, that was cool. And then go like, okay, that's fine. Like I like said, I like this more than you did, but even so, I'm not going to go back and rewatch this. As opposed to one I've rewatched many times before, not with Charles Bronson, but now we're getting on, fo- on 4K, the man who shot Liberty Valance, a John Ford, uh, John Wayne Western. I would say one of the best from both. And also featuring James Stewart in the not titular, but lead, uh, really the lead part in this film. Uh, it's interesting because there are really John Wayne and James Stewart are both co leads here. And, uh, the movie is kind of about Wayne in a third man sort of way, even though he's in it the whole time. It's just because it starts off with it's many years after the events of the movie, and we see Jimmy Stewart and his Uh, wife returning to the small town because John Wayne's character has died and everybody's very sad and everybody's talking about it. And everyone's like, why is this U S Senator coming to our tiny little town? People who didn't know him from then. And then it's like flashback. Most of the movie is, well, what happened before he was a Senator? And, uh, he came to this town to be a newspaper editor there in this, you know, very wild West town that had not gotten its shit together with rule of law and right off the bat, he's beaten up by Liberty Valance, played by, very memorably, by Lee Marvin, along with his gang. And Liberty Valance is an issue. And he's like, I am going to figure out a way to do something about this, but I don't believe in using guns and violence. There's gotta be a way. We've gotta bring law and order to this town somehow without, you know, being like them. And John Wayne is like, he's a proper cowboy, but he uses guns. <laughs> he, you know, he, he is a good man and deeply respected in this town. And even Liberty Valance is scared of him, but there's a sort of friendship slash, you know, a frenemies feel between Jimmy Stewart and John uh Wayne, which is partially because they're both interested in the same woman uh, who is decidedly right off the bat, more interested in Jimmy Stewart. Anyway, ultimately, you know, because of the title, what this is all going to lead up to, but that's, doesn't matter that you know that. The point is, how do we get there? Why did the things happen the way they did? And what was the fallout? And I always think this is one of the more fascinating and complex westerns of its era.
1: I agree.
0: Oh, I'm so worried. You had this look on your face like, yeah, yeah, I'll let him do his thing. And then I'll be like, shit all over. <laughs> never,
1: never seen it. And to, uh, to bash other macho actors who I just don't get, um, I have never been a John Wayne person. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, family members who were, and and when I was a kid, uh, John Wayne was always held as the standard for how a man should act. Mm -hmm. Uh, if I ever shed tears in front of my stepfather, he would always quote some movie that John Wayne did about boys, not crying. Oh boy. Um, so I, I grew up with a mad on for John Wayne. Like I'm already reluctant to watch anything with John Wayne. It's already a, a hurdle to get past. Right. Um, Hey, this is really good. Yeah. So, and, and you know, John Wayne not being the star probably helped. He's kind of like this weird, the role is almost, it's like quasi Greek chorus quasi like voice of reason. It provides a foil for Jimmy Stewart's perspective without it being a direct foil. So Mm -hmm. he's not like, I mean, obviously like Lee Marvin's the bad guy, but he's there to sort of be a voice on Jimmy Stewart's shoulder in a certain way to provide a a greater amount of conflict than what just exists with Jimmy Stewart and Lee Marvin, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an interesting part for him to kind of take a... uh, Like, James Stewart's in the movie so much more than John Wayne is, just by the fact that the beginning and end, catching up with them in in the future. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think I had ever seen John Wayne take a kind of like second fiddle sort of, sort of role. Um, but this was really good. It was really complex, very character driven, uh, fast paced, um, a lot of, a lot of colorful parts for character actors and things kind of around the fringes of this movie to play as well. Yeah. There's a lot of recognizable faces in there. I huh. think Levi and Cleef is one of. Yeah. Uh, Liberty Valance's sidekicks. But there's other guys in there, too, that you'll recognize from films of this era. There's like
0: Edmund O'Brien, yeah. Andy Devine, John Carradine has a small role towards the end. The the legendary Woody Strode mm-hmm. plays sort of like the... I, I, he's like John Wayne's sidekick.
1: And everybody gets something to do. Like, it's not just a matter of... It's not just a matter of, like... Everybody gets gets a little bit of something to do with their character. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets to... Everybody takes what little bit they have and they're able to form like a, a fully fleshed out character even if they're only on screen for a scene or two yeah um, and so the character work in it is really exceptional. I was
0: going to say the love interest Vera miles she's phenomenal in this and yeah. and she is best probably best known as a uh, Lila Crane from Psycho yeah <laughs> so another very recognizable face
1: no this was uh, this was really excellent I, I was glad I, I was glad I watched it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's not a traditional Western in that it's all about like a series of action scenes and gunfights, really. But the tension is always sky high here. And it's a, it's a moral quandary Western, you know, and it, it really raises interesting questions. And you're kind of, you're both rooting for Stuart completely to be absolutely like, yes, I agree with your point of view to also realizing there is a point where in a situation like this, it's more forces required. And it's him dealing with, Sort of like come, like easing his perspective more towards Wayne's perspective. And Wayne is so interesting in this because he's so absolutely patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's everyone else is like, Oh, for fuck's sakes, dude. And Wayne's like, okay, you'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is great. This is like the third time I've watched this. I really love this Western and this is a 4K release of it. And it just looks tremendous. It looks brand new. Just very impressed with that, uh, as well as there are there. It comes with a the Blu-ray, which is also remastered. Uh, and there was a two, 2017 release of this, which on Blu-ray, which which I uh, we actually reviewed then. But uh, there's new supplemental content on this particular Blu-ray that wasn't even there. But everything you get here is there's audio commentary by the sadly passed recently, Peter Bogdanovich, uh, who is always the guy you get when you want to <laughs> talk talk about like classic directors and and actors because he talked to and was a fanboy with all of them and he uh there's intermixed with that are archival recordings with him uh with with john ford and james stewart uh there's filmmaker focus leonard malton discussing the film uh selected scene commentary with intro by dan ford along with archival recordings with john ford and lee marvin uh, just takes a couple scenes out of here and does commentary specifically for him. And then there's a multi-part feature called The Size of Legends, The Soul of Myth, uh, which is just focuses on all sorts of different levels of, of analyzing the film with, uh, lengths varying from about 14 minutes to about three minutes. So yeah, this is a really solid release of a classic film. I'd say if you've never seen it, you should at the very least Go and watch it, however you can. And if you have seen it and you love it, this is the one to buy. It's really good. John nods silently in is this, agreement. Is
1: this the movie that? Is this the movie that inspired a Bug's Life?
0: <laughs> I could be. I don't know. It's
1: some there's some western that inspired a Bug's Life, and I think the parallels. I think there's parallels.
0: It's just to this been in a Bug's Life too long since I've seen a Bug's Life. Like to say.
1: The, the grasshopper played by Kevin Spacey is the Liberty Valance character, and like the little bug is Dave. The Dave Foley character is like the Jimmy Stewart You're like rolls into town and this grasshopper is already like ruling everything Uh and he's like aren't you guys going to do anything about it you know and they're just like we can't like I think it's it could be I think A Bug's Life is loosely based on liberty balance
0: well surprise surprise we're actually going to talk about a new movie they tried to get me to go see this in theaters when it came out and i uh said i'm not really that interested thank you very much even though i love me some charming potato uh Channing tatum i i do enjoy his performances uh, as unexpectedly fun he to watch as he ended up being as an actor but this movie dog i just immediately went yeah no skip it but then they were like we're just going to send it to you on (laughs) Blu-ray. Like, okay, fine. And it was actually getting halfway decent reviews. And I'm like, you know, even if it's just a movie, which it is, uh, which surprisingly not based on a true story, because this is a movie that feels absolutely based on a true story. It completely is not. It's totally made up about a guy who is a soldier, U.S. Army Ranger, who has PTSD, but he's trying to deny that he has PTSD. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I'm fine. But he had a brain injury. Uh But he finds out his former partner and a buddy Riley was killed in a car accident. And he's called into uh Fort Lewis in Washington, and he assumes he's being both just, but yay, they're finally going to approve me for duty, and they're like, yeah, no, we're we're not doing that quite yet, but uh, here's what we're going to do, and we'll see how this goes. See, Riley trained military dogs, and they all work together with one of his dogs, um, Lulu. Which is, uh, a Belgian Malinois. Looked like a German Shepherd to me, but whatever. And <laughs> he's like, okay, so we, the family really, really, really wants both Riley's stuff and the dog to be brought to where the funeral is on the other side of the country. And so I'm going to, uh, if you do this without problems and get, get them there and everybody's happy, then we'll, talk about putting you back on duty and he doesn't want to do it he doesn't know i mean he liked the dog when they were all together but apparently the dog has just gone kind of crazy without riley around it's like bites anyone who comes near him is very dangerous but of course i mean do i really have to tell you what happens here i mean it's a road trip movie with a dude and a who's damaged and a dog who's damaged and yes they bond and you know yada yada
1: <laughs> you get a magic mic reunion in here with kevin nash Hell yeah. yeah
0: yeah 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 uh, I don't know. I mean, like Tatum can be very charming at points, but it's it bothered me. It won't bother a lot of people that this is kind of low key poking fun at liberals, like not very overtly, but it's there, you know. And it's clear this movie is like. I mean, this movie's for people who were in the military. It's you know nothing wrong with that, but it feels like it has to also sort of like take a dig at people who aren't people in the military. <laughs> um, and it's. And like I said, it's not super overt. It was just enough to leave a bad taste in my mouth. There's nothing really wrong with this movie. It's just nothing really that right about it either. It kind of, like,
1: has these moments that sort of get into an area where you can see a different version of this movie that would probably be really great. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of swings back to this stuff about, like, oh, I'm going to go to a hotel and pretend I'm a blind guy and the dog's going like to knock shit over. And what was like,
0: that about? <laughs> and it's
1: sort of, so you, get, it's it's kind of this weird... <laughs> it's kind of this weird roller coaster of like when it starts to get into the the PTSD stuff and especially the way uh, that he perceives himself and the way that he deals with it all that kind of stuff kind of gets close to something that I felt like would have made a great film mm-hmm. but it still feels beholden to like this family audience who's going to come see a dog movie. Yeah. And I think as it is it's the movie's fine. It's like it's pretty good. It's better than a lot of other "quote sure. unquote" dog movies. But I think there's a. Uh, I think there's a. The, it's a little frustrating when you watch something to me that the seeds of something great are in there, and it's simply like pretty good. Yeah, and, like dog to me was it's pretty good, but it, it there's there's either either two scripts ago like two revisions on a screenplay ago before they i don't know maybe the blind guy stuff was in there from the start but some of it feels like it had been softened through the writing process Mm -hmm. and i don't know that that's necessarily the case right but it has the it has the feel of something that had the edges sanded off over time and i think whatever the version was that was maybe if there was a version that was that was edgier um, I would have liked to have seen that
0: well, version. But- like there's a interesting scene in the hotel where the dog attacks a, a Muslim guy who's there, yeah. you know, it's military trained dog overseas. Like he sees this Muslim guy in full gear and he attacks him. Uh, that felt like it was part of something that we would have to deal with more. And it's not really. No. Yeah. It's just an excuse to put an end to the blind charade, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of stuff in here where you're like, this felt like this would have been so much more interesting if you had spent more time with it, but you didn't. And in the end, it's just a, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened road trip movie. And even the relationship with the dog, I never felt the transfer point from, you know, the, the dog and he want nothing to do with each other to now we're friends. I never felt that moment. Of like, oh, I really believe this is happening. The film just goes, oh, look at the time; it's time for them to be friends.
1: Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, yeah I I found that too. Um, yeah, uh, this it it is the kind of movie. There's certain types of movies. It's like you see the trailer for it. If that looks interesting to you, yeah, you're probably going to like it because it mm-hmm. delivers on it delivers on what it promises. But it, uh, you know, I, I wish it delivered a little bit more than that because it it touches on things, <laughs> it touches on things, and then doesn't follow through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's no extra features of any kind here, except for it comes with a digital copy. But yeah, I mean, I can't really recommend this to anybody but who the idea of it alone sounds like a good thing or the most chanting Tatum, Tatum fanatics. If you're stuck watching this, you won't hate it. You just will probably forget about it in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very memorable. Uh We're going to talk about one that has been on my bucket list to find a copy of and watch for a very long time. A movie called Times Square that was made in 1980. And the reason it was on my bucket list for so long is because, you know, I'm an old-school old, old school punk rocker, and this is always on lists of one of the greatest punk movies ever made. Always. And I've been looking for a copy for this for a long time. By the way, I still need to find someone who has a good copy of Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, because I haven't watched that one yet, either. Oh. Oh, John got the wide eyes. Hmm. Should I see that one?
1: <laughs> yeah, you should see it.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I definitely want to, just never got around to it. Uh, but Times Square is more of a it's it is punk but almost in a tertiary sort of way it's kind of a feel-good uh lesbian bonding film but with lesbian in all lowercase uh, letters it's never overtly said but it's there and thus has become quite popular uh with gay film festivals and uh, among gay fans but it features trini alvarado who uh if if i'm trying to remember if she's the one
1: her her dad is running for like state senator or something like that or, or congressman or something yeah and there's some concerns that he's trying to paint this picture of them being the perfect nuclear family and she kind of loses her cool during a press conference where he's describing a story that didn't happen so to kind of keep her out of the limelight while he campaigns they put her in a sanitarium basically there's you're not given any indication that she's actually mentally ill it feels kind of like we need her out of the picture so the best place to do is like tuck her into this hospital yeah and while she's in the hospital she meets this street hustler um this Nick- kid who, who's lived yeah. on their own you get the feeling they've lived on their own at least for a couple of years at
0: this point that's nikki played by robin johnson
1: yeah and her and nikki become fast friends and she becomes fascinated with nikki's lifestyle and sort of devil-may-care attitude and uh the two of them sort of make new york their own and <laughs> and they find a, a hovel and hole up in the hovel and of course her politician father is looking for her. um and they start because he's looking for her, they become sort of infamous and that starts this dj played by tim curry to kind of have this uh Back and forth letter writing relationship, like they'll write him a letter and he'll read it on air and respond to them, and they have this relationship back and forth uh, with this with this charismatic yeah. DJ.
0: And then they start a band, and, then, and, and then they start a band, and they play this song that I tell you, John, I couldn't get out of my head for a week. Yeah, I was like, it's so simple. It's a simple little punk song. But goddamn, if it isn't a good one. <laughs> and they played a couple times in the movie. And just like, yeah, I mean, this soundtrack is great across the board, but like lots of good music in here. But that original song for the film was so good. And uh, uh Nikki, Robin Johnson, is the singer. And she's so good at it, has so much energy in life that apparently – in real life she was a, a immediately like grabbed by this company who was like started negotiating with her to basically just say we're going to set you up with films we're going to make you have albums and all this stuff she turned down a whole bunch of offers over and then a couple years went by and the studio basically just never did anything it was it, it,
1: the movie is produced by i can't remember the guy's name he was the Bee Gees producer and in mm-hmm. the late 70s was huge and he got locked in a In long legal battles back and forth with the Bee Gees as the 70s came to a close, and he signed her an exclusive contract and then did nothing for two years but fight the bgs in court yeah and so it killed her career career. yeah
0: Yeah. and and she she never really did anything again um it's really sad because she's such a force of nature in this film you're like i would have loved to have seen more stuff with her they were planning on billing her as the female john travolta if that gives you any idea of travolta in the 70s you know um yeah real shame uh she actually uh, is on the audio commentary along with the the director which is um. which, uh, for the 2000 DVD release, I'm not sure. I know this one has got different features. Not they, sure if she's, if they use that same commentary. I'll find out. I believe out it is the old commentary. Uh, yes, they have the archival one, um, here and there's a new one with critics Kat Ellinger and, uh, Heather Drain. But man, this is just fun. I mean, it's ultimately harmless and I wish it was a little more cutting. At points, um, Tim Curry is so great in this as well. He's just this sort of like, I mean, you think he's going to end up being sleazy and he's not. He's just sort of like a hipper than thou DJ that just wants to upset the system however he can. So he's kind of using these girls in a way, but not in a, you know, gross way. The studio
1: wanted them to downplay the lesbian aspect. And I think you notice the part that's missing, which is their, they establish a relationship in the hospital that was largely cut. Mm -hmm. um a lot of that stuff was more explicitly lesbian as they came to get to know each other and it helps explain why trini alvarado is so keen to run away with her when the moment happens yeah a lot of that stuff apparently was chopped out of the film and then it made the director pretty upset and he ended up walking away and quitting and i think somebody else devised and filmed the ending where she gives the the concert on top of the building like all that was separate from the director's original vision and intent Mm -hmm. uh But it's still, it's one of those things where there's enough, there's enough in here. It's still a a good movie, even if the director had to walk away. I mean, obviously, he's back on the commentary track. Right. So he must have looked at it and gone, well, it's still good enough for me to want to be associated with it. He didn't take his name off of it.
0: Right. Um, He was very loudly complaining at the time that it was not his vision, but like... I would love to have seen like yeah. if they anybody found stuff that was cut and reassembled mm-hmm. the original version, but which it's, probably doesn't exist
1: a, the other thing that he complained about was the soundtrack, which apparently they wanted more a more poppy new wave like there's cars on the soundtrack there's a lot of there's a lot of songs you recognize on the soundtrack and I think he wanted stuff to be a little more punk, a little more gritty.
0: Oh, um, for the record, there actually is a director's cut of this film, but this is not that director's cut. And apparently he was even kind of pissed off that they chose to release this version instead of the director's oh. cut. Um, I guess the only, there was, um, uh, Anchor Bay had a DVD release of the film years ago of the director's cut, but it's completely out of print. Mm. So maybe you Kino will go back and the director's cut. Co- I don't know why they didn't just put both versions in here, you know? It's not a very long film. You could have put both on one Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, it's it is really good. And it, it having I just watched Fabulous Stains again for the second time like a month ago, so the parallels between Fabulous Stains and this movie um are are very strong. Mm-hmm. Um I think this has more to do this is a little bit more relationship driven. It's more about the two girls at the heart of the film, hmm. whereas Stains is a little bit more a little bit more about, it's a little bit more of a cautionary tale about being an artist. It's a little bit more about the recording industry itself or like touring and bands, band relationship. Yeah. Not necessarily like two friends trying to trying to uh, figure out what it means to be independent uh, when you need
0: somebody else. Huh. Uh, I, I will get around to that eventually, I swear. Um,
1: but yeah, this was really good. Yes, this was really good. I'm
0: glad I finally got to see it. I'm glad I own it because I want to show it to, to other people I know who will just love the hell out of it, I think. Um, and the most interesting little fact here is that this was inspired by a diary that the director found when he bought a secondhand couch and it was like just shoved in the couch. Mm-hmm. So he had no idea who like the actual person was, but apparently it was a homeless, mentally disturbed woman who had written the diary. And apparently that this was the basis for the, the story idea, which like, whoa, that's Really cool. (laughs) Uh, There are. Did I already say the extras? Yes, I think I already said all the extras here. The two commentaries, a reversible cover with vintage poster art um, and a vintage trailer. Our last movie we're talking about today is the most money making movie of the films we have here, but certainly not the most money making film this year, uh, which is Uncharted. Now, I did a review for Uncharted uh, for the highly suspect reviews. We saw it in the theater I admit that I am a just ridiculously huge fan of these games. I've played all of them twice. I actually seriously considered going back and playing them a third time. I just love these games to back back and forth. Um this movie has been in the works with various different casts, directors and writers attached for ever since like the second game came came out like so like ten, over 10 years ago like the it's just been passing back and forth um now they made the odd choice to do to have it with Tom Holland as Nathan Drake even though in the first game you know Drake is definitely like in his 30s or so like mid 30s he looks he's a little little gray around the temples he's definitely like been doing this for a while Holland and the fourth game introduces like a young version of Nathan Drake the lead character like like 16 which Tom Holland still looks like he's 16 yeah. but and they have that in here too like a little bit like oh here's kind of like that scene in the game with him and his brother trying to steal stuff but unsuccessfully but here it's like, so he works at a bar and he's kind of a grifter. He like steals stuff from rich people every once in a while. And, uh, Mark Wahlberg shows up as Victor Sullivan, who again, weird fucking casting and who was, by the way, originally cast as Nathan Drake. And I think the first cast list of this, uh, and Victor in the games is sort of a big, burly, God, I forget, there was somebody I was like, ooh, that's who should play him, and now I can't even remember anymore, so long ago. But uh it's, it's not- like Mar- a
1: Ray Winstone type, right?
0: Yeah, he's a yeah. Ray Winstone type, exactly. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg is just, wh- what? Why would you cast Mark Wahlberg in this part? So it's just beyond the pale, odd, not appropriate casting for this game at all. And I remember fans of this game, like me, were pretty pissed off when they announced this is what was happening. Like, come on, you're not even trying now. But- what you ended up getting was a film that I still thought they weren't really trying that hard either. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, (laughs) I, it's like a, like Sully, Victor Sullivan, like meets up with him, almost kind of a meet cute in its way. And it's like, yeah, no, like I worked with your brother and we would go in, uh, um, basically archeological shit. And, uh, we think we have a lead on trying to find the treasure of Magellan, and, but, oh, here's the bad news. We have to steal a, a uh, golden trinket cross that the super rich evil guy played by Antonio Banderas, who has, the, uh, he's, uh, he's after it too. And so they have to steal it from an auction house. Yada, yada. Antonio Banderas is the bad guy, but not really because he's kind of barely in it. The real bad guy is someone who works for him. Uh, cl- um, Toddy Gabrielle is Joe Brodick. You might know her if you watch, uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. She was kind of like the bitchy girl on there. But yeah, she's the real bad guy, the proper bad guy here. She's the one with all the screen time. You also have Chloe Fraser, who is, it was a big part of the games as well, but she's played here by Sophia Ali, um, who's in it some. She has some – the best scenes in this are between her and Tom Holland. That's the chemistry in this film because nobody else had any chemistry together, I didn't think, really. I mean, Wahlberg is a professional actor. Holland is a professional actor. They're fine together. They have a few nice moments because there's some funny bits in the script that they get to deliver and have fun with. But most of the jokes fall pretty flat here. The action scenes are okay, if not completely implausible. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a whole thing with a helicopter carrying a giant old-school wooden ship. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't think so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, kids, don't do what I did. Um, don't watch Triple R immediately before you watch Uncharted. Oh, good lord. Uh, I was making the Justin Timberlake Saturday Night Live meme face. That that <laughs> solemn, straight-line mouth. Um <laughs> Yeah, this was uh, this was like the modern, like, put the property in a computer, beep, boop, beep, and it spits out a movie on the other side. It's yeah. just like, it's action, but none of the action is real. It's very obviously not real. It's, it's sort of, it's such a hard thing to describe that I can get into the action of like a Marvel movie because there's this, there's this, sometimes the Marvel stuff looks real within the world that it's set in. So if I'm watching like the end of, let's say Endgame or something like that, or infinity war, and it's like, there's an, there's an unreality to it anyways, because there's Thanos and there's aliens and there's this and that. So, so you're buying into something that's unreal to begin with when you're in the real world and you're dealing with real things. And I can tell that everything is CG and green screen or like, it's just, it's, it's such a phony movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where you hear directors sometimes go, well, they're going to make, the, they were going to make the movie anyways. So we thought, let's have some fun with it. And this has a little bit of the feel of somebody who kind of went, this is going to get made. Maybe I can make it a little bit fun. And it's like, yeah, you made it a little bit fun but you also could have just turned it down. <laughs> like, you right. also could have just walked away.
0: I mean, this is Ruben Fleischer, who's yeah. a very experienced director. He did, like, the Zombieland movies, uh, 30 Minutes or Less, uh Gangster Squad. He's made a lot of big studio films. I kind of... Yeah, I was like... Well, I, I feel like almost anybody would have... And maybe the fact is, he's not an A-list director by any means for studios. He feels like the guy they get when all the people they wanted turned them down.
1: Yeah, this was... Uh it's just sort of it's hollow. Like that's kind of yeah. all it is. It's it, it is it is like no better than like the you know the Tomb Raider movies that came out years ago. It's just
0: um, I would say it's a little better than those because I mean th- those were so flat and not funny. When, not even trying to be funny, really. Like they were just uninteresting on every level. And this has some nice moments in it. Yeah. I mean, like, the opening thing, which is, like, the big action piece of the film, is really cool. I was like, that's... It looks cool. Like, it generally holds up. There's a wonky, little wonky CG-wise, uh, like, moment. But, like, generally speaking, that's a really awesome sequence. Um But nothing ever really pays off the way you would want it to.
1: And it is miscast.
0: Yeah, badly.
1: And uh it's just... Like yeah, it's not. Um, there's still a, there's still a better version of Uncharted to be made out there in well, the world. But it,
0: it's almost like the little ending, the post credit scene here was like them going, "Okay, we promise next time we'll actually do oh, an I didn't Uncharted." Even know there was a post y- There's scene. one that's like they throw in like nine Easter eggs and like two minutes for the game (laughs) you're just like what the fuck like oh yeah we forgot Sally's supposed to smoke cigars and there's a thing about nathan having the the necklace and what that's supposed to mean and you know all the stuff that's actually from the games they throw into that last little bit and you're like okay so was what was this this what why didn't you just do that movie
1: (laughs) tom holland kind of talks a little too much like spider-man and he's kind of quippy there's there's like There's trace elements of Peter Parker in his Nathan uh, Drake performance. There's
0: nothing about his performance or, you know, to be clear, he was just, as we said, so miscast for this role. But there's nothing about him that makes you think of Nathan Drake from the games. Like he's like the, the polar opposite and almost to like. (laughs) To, like, put a double underline under that for audiences, Nolan North, who actually, like, does him – voices him for the games, who the character was drawn to look like – is in here briefly as in a little, uh, I thought very cute cameo. Um I, I was even like, you know what? I can think of a way they could bring him back and be like, Oh, well he's actually his long lost father who's been doing this for a long time. Uh But uh, you're just, like, it just reminds you, Oh yeah, this is terrible casting. <laughs> he's not too old. They should have just gone with Nolan North, but you know, studios
1: go the way, go see this the way a lot of American audiences did, which is don't go to the movies for like two years and then let this be your first movie, right. and you'll probably go, "Wow, that's really good." But <laughs> don't watch Triple R. Don't watch R R R immediately before. Yeah, Uncharted. You will be disappointed <laughs> will be, after I enjoying. You'll be disappointed
0: after enjoying Triple R. I couldn't watch Triple R in one setting. I had uh, to watch it in like I had to watch it over the space of two days because it is long. That's a lot of movie in that movie. That's a lot of movie in that movie. <laughs> but uh, by the way, the wedding dance sequence. I just gave me the chills. I loved it so much. Cool. Anyway, there are bonus features here, as you might expect with a big studio film. Like, there's about 10 and a half minutes of deleted and extended films, scenes, nothing that will. You know, answer any questions you had, or give you more of what you were hoping for as a game plan. And then there's a series of shorty because how we did this, the the actors how they did the thing. There's a commentary with Ruben Fleischer on here. Um Yeah, it's just what you expect. There's a music video for a song they use in here. No, no mind by Milk Blood. This band called Milk Blood. Mm. Oh, you kids today and your ba- crazy band names. Uh, Yeah. And there's all the, the, the... They did a bunch of, like, weird marketing for this, so some of those are t- attached to this as well. Uh, yeah. Let's just move on to what is our pick of the week, and I'm pretty sure it's uh Liberty Valance.
1: Yeah, it's Liberty Valance with a sideways glance toward Times Square. Yeah. Because I actually had Times... Uh, when I watched Times Square, I was like, oh, that's pick of the week. Yeah. And they kept making it through the stack, and it's like, oh, Liberty Valance is, like, a classic and yeah. a deserved classic, yeah. like... It's as good as I've heard.
0: Plus brand, uh, brand new, yeah. good extras and a 4K upgrade. Yeah. So yeah, that was, it was hard to argue against that. Thank you for joining me, John. Is there anything you want to like point people at?
1: No, you can find me on social media at Golson, G-H-O-L-S-O-N. All so right. What's going on right now.
0: And as soon as something, I'm sure, you, as soon as something exciting does happen, you'll let us know.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you... Like the movie that you're in. That you're uh, like, in? oh
1: well, crap. Thank you for.
0: I was like, <laughs> actually, I was setting you up. Actually, here. you were setting <laughs> me up. Uh,
1: Make popular movies is playing the Chattanooga Film Fest, which is an all virtual festival. Uh, it's it's a it's a mostly genre fest. It's all stuff kind of like Fantastic Fest, mm-hmm. even if it's just a comedy like what I'm in. It's a little off-center. So that's playing Chattanooga Film Festival, and it plays it. I believe that that begins here, this coming... Like, by the time this is out, I think the Chattanooga Film Fest is going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can buy individual passes to movies or you can buy a pass to the whole thing, watch it from the comfort of your couch at your own pace. Hmm. Uh, And I'm in a film called make popular movies that is in the chat. You're you're
0: playing it down here. You're not just in the film. You are the star of the the star
1: of make popular (laughs) movies. you know, I took a lot of inspiration from movies like Uncharted and Tom Holland's <laughs> performance of Uncharted. Uh, no, Chris saw it. Uh, he yeah. came out and saw, uh, I was Ra- Cruise
0: raving about you in it. You were amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It was thank such so a, much. such a great, such a funny performance. And to find out that like most of it was imp- improvised. Um, it was all,
1: all the dialogue was improvised. That's all the dialogue. Was
0: I never would have guessed that, well, quite that frankly.
1: That is a, that makes me feel good because yeah. that's the way it should be. It's,
0: it's really good. Should. And and now it looks like maybe because of the strength of this performance we might be seeing you in more stuff soon, huh? I hope so. There's yeah. something
1: else I mean I can't I can't talk about yet. But is it Spider Man? It's it, not is it's it not, Uncharted
0: Two? It's, 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 <laughs> yes, it's Uncharted Two.
1: I play the necklace. <laughs>